I gotta do it again. Can I do it again? I'm gonna do it again. You can do whatever you want. Today's episode of On Taking Pictures was almost not brought to you by the fine folks at Time Warner Cable. (laughs) Right? All right, it's Tuesday, so that means another brand new episode of On Taking Pictures. Are you excited, Bill? Very excited, Jeffrey. This is episode 32 of On Taking Pictures. We're here each and every week talking about all sorts of photography stuff, art, science, philosophy, maybe even a little sarcasm. We're sarcastic sometimes, aren't we? Uh, I don't know. Are we? (laughs) I see what you did there. Wow. There it is. Uh, Hey, we've got a great show today. I'm excited about this show. Although I, you know what? I say that every week. I've gone back and and I've read my tweets uh, and I, I say that. Every time. Best show ever. Best show, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, my name is Jeffrey Sidoris from FadedAndBlurred.com. With me is Bill Wadman, fancy New York photographer. How you doing, Jeffrey? I'm okay. Uh, we almost didn't do the show today. It's true. Uh, because of uh, some issue with uh, the fine folks at Time Warner Cable. Yeah, the uh, my cable modem has been, um, well, let's just say it's been biting the dirt or the I don't know what it's been doing terrible things today. So yes. and and now has been decommissioned. Yeah, we got a new new modem, but the new I don't even want to get into it. Anyway, right now we have zero packet loss and that's all that matters. That's we're we're not losing any packets. Not just for you. One packet has because been lost. we care. Um so what do you you have some ideas? Okay, so I I'm listening to a podcast the other day. Uh Nikki listens to this this show called The Slate Culture Gab Fest, which I've listened to a few episodes and and honestly it's it's one of the most pretentious podcasts I've ever listened to. But uh w- one of the topics that they were talking about is this notion of retirement and they they were talking about it in terms of of musicians. Uh, like the Stones, particularly, or you know Dylan, or something. Arguing and, that they should retire. Well, making making both cases. Uh, okay. In in the case of of the Stones, the the basic idea was: look, they haven't done anything new. They're kind of you know resting on the greatness that had come before them. Uh, and and is that the way to go out, or or do you want to go out on top? Um, versus somebody like say Bruce Springsteen, who. Uh, in my opinion, Wrecking Ball is every bit as good as Born to Run, you know. So, okay. I mean, he's still kind of out there being relevant. And, and it got me thinking about, about creativity and painters, photographers, sculptors, you know, for our purposes, photographers. And this idea of should, should once great photographers have retired or should they retire if they're no longer producing the same quality of work – as the work that made them famous. But then that got me into maybe their work hasn't changed. It's our aesthetic of what makes a great photograph. Is that what's changed? All true or all possibles. Right. Um, I it, it, look, I think that the reason why I guess there's two kinds of people in this world. There are, there are artists who are doing it because it's really what they love. And then there's those people who are doing it because it's good business for whatever reason. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that we get in trouble sometimes, or I get in trouble sometimes on this show because I do make a distinction between those people who are into photography 
to make something beautiful versus those people who are into photography to make a living. And those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, but I think that there is a, there's a, there's a range there. You know, mm-hmm. I know photographers who don't really care that much about photography. They just do it because, you know, it pays the bills and they like taking pictures of, you know, their wedding people and, and that kind of stuff and their event photographers. And they're like, Hey, it's a gig. It's work. That's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a lot of those people, I don't think that if it came to the point where they didn't have to pick up a camera anymore, I think a lot of them wouldn't. Okay. Versus people like our friend Saul Leiter, who uh, seems to be one of the people that does it because that's what he does. Yeah. That's just what he does. And I mean, this is a, this is a full range. I'm somewhere in the middle tilting towards the artist side probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that what it, what you the point of this is that assuming that my career continues the way it is or gets better, I don't foresee myself stopping doing this. Right. I'm not looking, I'm not trying to do X, Y, Z so that I can make X amount of money so that I can stop and play golf or whatever it is people do when they retire. Sure. Because what I'm doing is what I would want to do if I had a normal job when I retired, (laughs) you know? Right. Right. So, um, I think that so there's a distinction between those people in the world who are looking to stop working so they could do what they really want to do. And okay, that's fine. But like, I'm already doing what I really want to do. So why would I ever retire? Now, the artistic angle of it is your argument is whether or not these people that that their work changes things. So if 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 at the age of 80, they're doing crappy work or the same work they were doing when they were 40 or 30, then maybe they should just stop because it isn't worth it. Well, I don't, I don't know that I'm making an argument either way. I'm just, I'm, I, I wondered about it. I wondered, has their work changed or is, is the aesthetic of what, what we take as a good photograph or what we, what we consider a good photograph, has that changed? Are they still doing the same quality of work? And it, it gets into uh, kind of the things that we've talked about in the past of processing choices, lighting choices, sure all these kinds of things. There are trends that, and fashions. and Sure. Yep. Uh, would Elliot Erwitt, you know, as a brand new photographer, get work today? Right. I don't know. You know, would, would Eggleston get work today? Right. Y- using the same aesthetic that got him famous, that, that made them famous. Um, and, and that's, I mean, you, you, I guess you can never know. Uh, there are 1500 photographers in Williamsburg who hope that they can get famous shooting William Eggleston type pictures. <laughs> there, there you go. Um, uh, but there, you know, it, it's an interesting question and it got me thinking about what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And if I'm not doing the thing that sort of makes me happy, regardless of, of how it's turning out at the moment, Right. Do I need to sort of plot a different course? Well, okay. I think that a number of things. One, you, you, these are two different arguments here. It's whether or not you internally feel like you, if you were 80 years old and taking pictures, if it made you happy and you thought what you were doing was good or worthwhile in some way, then who gives a crap what other people think? Right. Uh, I mean, the, the people who are on this podcast talking, are they themselves people who make stuff or are they just people who sit around talking about people who make stuff? They are, uh, critics. Okay. Well then I don't care about them or anything they say. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, I, you know, at a certain point it's like, well, 
yeah, it's real easy to like, you know, sling crap from the cheap seats, you know? Right. Right. How about you get down on the field and make something for 50 years straight? Right. And how about a bunch of people come tear you down? Screw those people. Like that's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Um, what, why are you laughing at me? I just, it's just, it's just funny. It's I, yeah. Okay. I, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, no, I, I do. Point, I do. Like, well, who I, cares I, if you, if, if you think that, that, uh, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen or, or, or Paul McCartney doesn't do good records anymore. He should just stop. Well, you know what? Paul McCartney enjoys doing new records or the Rolling Stones enjoy touring and people are going to pay $180 for a seat that's four miles away. <laughs> I think they call that pay-per-view. Who, who are, who are you to say? Right. You know, right. I, I think that I think that that that's a whole bunch of pretentious hullabaloo. Sure. Um, well, you know, come on. There are people that use vis-a-vis in sentences. And right. Exactly. Normal discussion. Yeah. No, nobody needs to be using that. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> it's true. Now, I, I, I don't know. I, I look, I see what you're saying. I just yeah. I, I just don't. I just don't know that it's actually. I think that I think that if people are enjoying what they're doing, then they should just keep doing it. Right. I think that I, I, I think okay. that people who are people who are in it for the reasons that I am in it, and for the reasons that I hope artists are into art, those people will probably keep doing what they're doing forever. Right. Um, it, well, I mean, the bigger the bigger thing for me in thinking about all this is the the second part of it, not necessarily the retirement issue, although that was kind of an interesting discussion. They, they, they brought up points like, you know, had, had Woody Allen retired after making Manhattan, uh, you know, would he be thought of as, as, as different or better or worse? But the fact is he just really enjoys making movies and every year he's going to make a movie. Right. Um, and my portion of it, I thought about the, the, the aesthetic aspect of it. I tend to like and and am gravitated towards work that's not current, if that makes sense. Okay. My my aesthetic tends to be in, you know, the lighter, um, you know, kind of vein. I, I like that aesthetic. I like the way the colors looked. I like the way they framed things. Well, go back and, in time and buy some Kodachrome. There you go. So it's it's affecting how I approach you know, the path that I, that I see myself embarking on at the moment. Okay. And, and we've talked about this enough and I wonder, is, is it good enough? Is, is my aesthetic, is, is what I want to shoot viable as something to shoot without a name behind me? From the point of view of a commercial enterprise? Yes. Not nothing, having nothing to do with my own enjoyment because I will enjoy it regardless. But if I'm embarking on uh, a, a different path that's going to actually take me into making photographs and and applying my sort of filter and grid into what I'm making, knowing that I don't have the you know insert you know whatever flashy photographer name here i don't i don't think that way i don't see that way right. so i guess I, I i tend to fall into this sort of paralysis of should i shouldn't i given that on some level i've already decided that i'm not going to succeed i i think that you need to do what you want to do regardless of what people are going to think mm-hmm. and if you 
make good work, then at a certain level, it will be accepted. Um, look, there's always, there's always going to be people who love what you do. There's always going to be people who hate what you do. I wrote a tweet the other day that got retweeted a bunch of times. I said, you know, you, you always have the same ratio of people who can't stand you, people that ignore you and people that praise you. Right. No matter how good you get, no matter how excellent you become, it's always the same ratio. You just get more of them. Okay. (laughs) You just get more of each. Sure. Um, so somebody, somebody wrote me recently, you know, some, some very critical disparaging remark about my work. And I was like, you know what? You can't make everybody happy. You can't make it, you know, and if you try, then that's where you fail. Mm-hmm. Trying to please everybody pleases nobody. And then you're, you're right back where you started, except you've, you have made no statement. You have made, you have made no art. Right. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at is I'm, I'm on this sort of precipice of wanting to put something into the stream. You know, I want to put something into the flow for consumption, critique, discussion, etc. But there's that paralysis of trying to stay true to, to what I see in my head versus what I feel I should deliver, whatever that means. Do you know what I mean? I think you just need to go out and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least you've done something. Right. Right. Action is always better than inaction. Right. You know, I yeah. mean, that's that's a general. But I mean, as far as this whole thing of doing it forever and, and whether or not these people there, there are famous photographers who have continued to do what they do over and over and over again through decades. Sure. We've talked about a bunch on the show. Uh, is there is there later work just as good? Maybe it's even more refined because they've been doing it for years. You know, mm-hmm. um, in fact, the, the our photographer of the week this week takes pretty much the same picture of everybody. Right, but you can see a progression. Yeah, and 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 it's very high quality. You know, mm-hmm. in some ways, he takes the kinds of pictures that I would love to take. In fact, I'm going to start trying to mimic him a little bit just to play around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, but to, to, to have cultural critics pass judgment on artists is it's folly. You know, that's noise. Um, those people don't matter. I, you know, I was, I was, I sat down and had lunch the other day with a friend of mine who went to art school for painting and he's a big retoucher. He's a new friend of mine. He's a sweet guy. And we were talking about the fact that all of these galleries and things, even in New York City, how, you know, so many of these artists are, you know, they're rich kids who end up being able to just sit around and do art because, you know, they can because they have money. And then they're friends with all the gallery people because they all went to choke together and, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, But I was talking about it and last night we had dinner, a couple of people over for dinner and, and we were talking about this and Heather even said, you know, the problem with that is that Tom Waits was working like at a restaurant or something when he was working on his first record. What, was that what he was doing, Heather? He was working at a pizza restaurant. Right. <laughs> you know, while he was making arguably one of the greater records of the 70s. Sure. So. And so, there's story after story of that. Sure. And then there's story after story of the Cartier-Bresson's in the world who like had money just fly around the world and take pictures. 
Um, but there's, but, but all of that is just, it's, it's just drivel. I mean, does it affect the success that somebody can have? Does it affect uh, how far they can get in the art world? The, you know, capital A, capital W art world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it does. But, but that's all, that's all uh, winds of change, chaos theory stuff anyway, you know? Sure. You happen to meet the right person at the right party who likes the way that your glasses were blue or, you know, who knows? Right, right. Um, the, the only thing that you have control over is your own vision and your own happiness. And if, and that comes down to doing the kind of work that you want to do. And if people accept that, that's great. If they don't accept that, well, you know what? The hell with them, you know, <laughs> or, right, you know, or right. at least, or, you know, at a certain point you, you can't control that. You can't make that happen. You can't decide that 30 years from now, if, if I'm still taking the kinds of pictures I'm taking now and suddenly they're really uncool, well, they're uncool now, if they're even more uncool <laughs> later, well, you know what, that, you know, what am I going to do? Right. Hey, maybe they're uncool now and five years from now, the stuff that I've been taking for the last five years is suddenly the best things since sliced bread and, you know, everyone wants me because, you know, and then I become cool again five years later or uncool. Right, you know, right. you have no idea. This stuff goes in cycles, you know. Sure, it is. It's definitely cyclical. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like uh, the William Coupon, our photographer of the week, he's, I mean, his his look is very painterly. Well, mm-hmm. you know what's cool now? Not painterly light. Right. You know, <laughs> people don't want that. People want super flat lighting of people in their backyards on a cloudy day. Right. But. You know? Five years from now, it may be that everybody wants that because they're so sick of the flat light of people in their backyards on a cloudy right. day. And who decides that? The people at Slate Culture Gab Fest. <laughs> right. Or, okay. their, or their friends. Right. Um, Point taken. But as far as, you know, uh, look, there, there's, you know, the, there's the Avedons of the world who shot until the day he died, you know? Right. And I like... Uh, literally, I, actually. Yeah. Didn't he? I like that, that whole that fantasy of I'm just going to keep doing it because this is what I enjoy doing. Why would I ever stop doing it? The idea that the people who are out there and they're like, Oh, I'm working this job and you know, whether or not they like it or whatever it is, but the people who are choosing to work a job that they, it's, you know, there's people who are stuck in some job and that's one thing, but the people who are choosing some crappy job with long hours, they can make lots of money so that they can then retire at 55. You know, they're finance guys or whatever it is. Mm hmm. And sit around and it's like, okay, well, then you're 55 and you just wasted 30 years of the middle of your life sitting in an office 85 hours a week. Right. You know, you could die of a heart attack because you've been sitting around eating hamburgers all day long. <laughs> you know, um, right. that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, there was a time that it felt inevitable, but it doesn't now. I I don't know. Um, and, and I think that, I think that, there are a lot of artists who don't change because they're scared to change. And I think that there are artists out there who don't change because they're confident and comfortable with the things that they make. Right. But I will say that in the historical sense, I think that the most successful artists are ones who moved forward constantly. Who did explore. Yeah. The Picassos of the world who, you know, did something, played around with it, exploited it, and then moved on. Well, I mean, even to your point, even Avedon, you yeah. know, he's widely known for these, you know, stark white background portraits, but that was just one yeah. the fashion, sort of season in his career. Right. The fashion stuff he was doing in the fifties and sixties looked nothing like that. Right. 
you know, he was out in Paris taking pictures of people playing pinball and stuff like that. Uh, so, so I think that, I think that at the time, even, okay, even Avedon and the, the American West stuff that at the time when he said he was going to go do that and bankrolled it himself, I think everyone thought he was crazy. Mm -hmm. They're like, what are you doing? You have your look. Now you're like doing some other kind of crazy thing and it's not going to work and you're going to fail and blah, blah, blah. And now look, that's the stuff people look at. So, you know, where was like culture gab fest then? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> prep school <laughs> you know what i'm saying like, <laughs> it's just but but i mean that's the thing that the the critics are always going to hate the critics are always going to be critical that's their job okay but yeah, i sure. but i think that they should just shut the heck up because they don't you know what the heck do they know sure i don't know okay Moving on. okay well what's interesting is that I, I, speaking of podcast listening <laughs> here it goes uh i was listening to stuff you should know you listen to that I've heard of it. I have not listened to it. Okay. It's fun. Uh, Josh Clark and uh, Charles Chuck Bryant, Chuckers Bryant, uh, two, I think they're like best friends, them and their wives like hang out and stuff. Anyway, they take a particular topic and they, and they start talking about it. It's usually like 20 minutes and they basically, it's like a, uh, 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 audio version of a Wikipedia entry in many ways. Like it's not like they're talking really deep stuff. They're just giving you the lowdown. And in this case, it was a lowdown about caves and caving like and, caving exploring cave like spelunking yes, and that kind of thing yeah okay all right and they were just talking about caves and how they're formed and stalactites and stalagmites and all that crap and but the, in the in the intro he was talking about how these people found some cave in the american west and when spelunkers got down into it they found cave drawings a mile in a mile into the cave so these were people who did not have electric lights, right? did not have anything like that, but felt the need to go a mile into the cave because they thought it was spiritual or whatever the reason why, right? To make this art. They, you couldn't get me to go 100 yards down a cave I didn't know in order to make whatever. <laughs> these guys are a mile in in the complete pitch darkness making art like the lengths that they go to the lengths that anybody all these people go to i mean look my financial life would be a lot better if i was still in advertising and i'm sure and i've gone and 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 let that go in for the sense that i want to make something that i care about and that i'm going to leave behind after i die or that other people might enjoy or or that i can look at and and say wow i okay there's something to show for all this time that i had on this earth right well, it, you're not the 85 hour a week, you know, weekends at the club, you know, car house. I do go to the club on weekends. <laughs> of course you do. But you know what I mean? You're not, that's not, that's not what you value. That's not my bag. It's true. It's not your bag. It's true. Um, and, and the thing is, you know that that's not your bag because you spent enough time doing it to go, you know, yes, I've got money. Yes, I've got this. Yes, I've got that. But I'm miserable. Or this is just going nowhere. Right. I, I see where this is going and it's a whole lot more of this. Didn't we, didn't the, we have a, a link in the show notes a couple weeks ago of the guy who wrote about how adver- the guy who like left advertising and was dying. Didn't we, did we use that? I don't remember. Some guy uh, who was an art director who was dying of cancer or something like that. And he was, he was sick and he like would meet up with his friends 
like sometimes, um, and all they could talk about was this latest pitch that they were working on that they haven't seen their wives in like three days. Cause they've been, you know, sleeping at the office and all this kind of stuff. And, and he's just like from the outside, it's like, you people are crazy. None of what you're doing. It doesn't matter if bank of America has new ad campaign tomorrow. <laughs> like that's right. not like, this is what you're, you're giving up your life for something that has no, it doesn't have any intrinsic value, you know? Um, and he was like, kind of like just ripping that thing apart and just being like, look, go do your job, whatever it is. But the point at which that becomes your life, especially that kind of thing, you got to be out of your mind. Right. You know, but if people get, you get wrapped up in it. You get spun up in it. Uh, well, you get spun up in, in all the stuff that surrounds it. Right. It's probably not the day to day of, of the job, but it's the culture or, or the sort of pseudo culture that surrounds it uh, that becomes your world. Right. You know? Yeah, sure. And, and those are your friends and you know, it's, it's, it's fun to be needed and it's fun to get involved in projects. I think it's just, it's just dangerous, you know, cause you blink and then your 20 years go by. Right. And you're, you know, your, your, your soul isn't any richer, even though your bank account is. Maybe. I mean, I know plenty of people that make uh, a great deal of money, but they're two paychecks away from living on the street because they've got to pay for, you know, the house, the car, the toys, the boat, the quads. They should know. stop buying boats. <laughs> they're holes in the water that you throw money into. <laughs> Is that the old term? <laughs> Didn't your family have a boat? Uh, yes. Of course you did. Several, actually. <laughs> See. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's you people that are the problem. <laughs> they, they are. They're money pits. But you know, you, <laughs> then you can say you've got a boat. Uh, hey, you know, I got that uh, new um, Dan Winters book. Yes. Which, uh, can I do a little mini review? Absolutely. No, no this is uh, the one with uh, who, what, Will, Ferrell Will Ferrell on the cover. Yeah. yeah. America, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, uh, it's, it's not all portraits. It's like, there's a chunk of studio portraits in the front. And then there is, uh, a whole bunch of stuff of space and aerospace stuff. And then some macro photography and then some environmental portraits in black and white in the back, including one of Tom Waits, interestingly enough. Ah. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's more of a span kind of thing than the editorial portraits book. Um, almost all of the portraits from the editorial portraits book, a lot of them are in this book too. And then only a couple extras. So there aren't that many more portraits in this than there are in the old book. Does he include, uh, any of his artwork? Yes. Some of that's in there too. I really like his artwork. Uh, so it's an interesting book, but it's not exactly what I imagined. And the printing is a little more matte than the old book which was very glossy and sort of very contrasty and and i think perhaps better printing uh so anyway just if you're out if you're gonna go get it just keep that in mind who who's the publisher on it uh i don't know i don't have it at at hand um but uh yeah it was it was you know it's fine it's just not amazing you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh speaking of like people who care about what they do in a philosophical sense i I, when I was a kid, I was into um, skateboarding. Yep. And I listened, I used to watch all those Bones Brigade videos. You know those guys? Sure. So uh, for those of you who don't know, it's like Tony Hawk, who everyone's probably heard of. Uh, and four other guys were in this thing called the Bones Brigade, which was 
sort of a, a, a company team from this company, Powell Peralta, right? And they made these cheesy videos that were like all the rage at the time. And apparently when they started doing the videos, uh, they made the first one and they were like, oh, maybe we'll sell, uh, you know, 30 copies or something like that. And they ended up selling like 300,000 copies. Crazy. <laughs> some cra- Yeah, like just nut stuff like that. But I mean, this this was kind of the explosion, the initial explosion of skateboarding, yeah? Yeah, well, it was the second explosion of skateboarding. The first one was like in the 70s, and then this was okay, like with, the 80s with explosion. the Dogtown guys? Yeah, the okay. Z-Boys. and yeah. Z-Boys, yeah. Uh, which Of which Stacey Peralta, who uh, ran part of Powell Peralta, ran the team, uh, was one of those original guys. So in the second thing, he ended up becoming the mentor of all these guys like Tony Hawk. Anyway, the point of this is to say that uh, Stacey Peralta makes these documentaries lately, including this one now that just came out uh, about the Bones Brigade. And they got the five guys together and they were interviewing them, talking about actually six guys because this guy Rodney Mullen was in there too. And they're all in their 50s, you know, uh, late 40s, 50. And they're talking about what it was like to grow up then and the pressures and, and the way the, like, you know, the little infighting inside what they were doing, how all their family members and stuff thought they were crazy. And who do you think you are? What are you doing? You know, you can't, what are you doing with your life? Exactly. That kind of stuff, you know? And it's like, well, I happen to be the best at this of anybody in the world. And, you know, and, and it's just, it's, even if you're not into skateboarding that much, it's still a worthwhile hour and a half documentary um well look i mean you look at tony hawk for example who he's only ever skateboarded yeah that's all he's ever done yes and uh, you know really kind of uh was one of the first to do you know skateboarding video games and and they were producing videos in-house and he was shooting and editing and and you know was one of the first guys to really turn this into more than uh, just the career itself in, in all of these sort of ancillary businesses. Yes, true. Uh, and, and skated, I don't know if he still skates, but he was skating in his 40s. Yeah, yeah, and Steve Caballero, who is one of the members too, I mean, apparently still rides in competitions. You know, mm-hmm. he's like 50 years old. So it's, anyway, it's interesting because they talk about why they got into skateboarding, and a lot of it is very similar to the reasons people get into art, you know? Mm-hmm. Very philosophical that, you know, they, they were, they felt like outcasts. They wanted to, to express themselves, um, that, that what they were doing wasn't about messing around and busting up people's property and stuff that they were really just trying to, to make something to, to right. speak, to, to add to the vernacular of sure. what they were doing. Well, I mean, in the same way that, that a dancer uses dance. Yes. Right. They're, yeah. they're, they're creating moves that are still being used they're creating tricks that are still being used they're 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 sort of setting the stage for everyone that's going to come after them yeah and there's and there's a there's there's a a a skateboard trick called the the mctwist which is this 540 thing off a ramp oh yeah and uh (laughs) yeah and well one of the other guys on the team this guy lance mountain was just like you know and, and mike came over and he's like hey i got this new trick and he's like and i went over and i showed it he showed it to me and he does the, he goes, he goes up and he does the 540 over my head. And I just stared at him and I was like, and I just knew that I was done. He's like, I can't do that. Like, I don't, I don't have the athleticism to do that. Right. And then he's like, and then I fought for a month. I was on my ramp at home working on it, working on it, working on it. And finally I like landed it. He goes, and I came down and I smashed my board against the wall. Cause he's just like, not, and I, he's like, I finally did it. And I wasn't happy. He goes, 
I was pissed that it took me a month to get it. <laughs> you know, that like that's but but it's the similar kind of thing, right? I mean, this right. is this is the same thing that a painter would say who was trying to get some effect and he just, you know, he like fought with it for so long and sure. but even if he finally gets it, it's like why was that so difficult? Like this is it's this constant pull. Anyway, it's just it's it's a beautiful movie and some of the moments are 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 fantastic. So, check it out. Uh, it is available uh, on Amazon. Yeah, not, it's not a couple not, bucks, I mean, three bucks. Yeah, it's like three bucks for streaming. Uh, so three ninety nine, I think. I think it's totally worth it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, we got a lot of stuff to talk about after the break. You wanna you wanna do uh, an ad? I do want to do an ad more than anything. Um, because uh, we we like these folks, we do. Uh, uh, today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Uh, it's your uh, do-it-yourself website builder. If you want to build your own site, Squarespace makes it really easy to do. Uh, yeah, it's great. What's great about them is that they're both the hosting company and uh, the software that runs on the server, and they keep track of all the security updates and all that stuff, so you don't have to. And nothing brings down these Squarespace sites. So if you know you get slash dotted or linked to by Chase Jarvis, your website will stay up. Yep. See what I did there? Yeah, I did see. And I'm sure Chase appreciates that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, yeah. so if, added, if you don't want to use PHP, if, if you're not into learning plugins or coding yeah. or, you know, I mean, come on, if you're listening to this show, you at least have a passing interest in photography and you probably take pictures. That's what you do, right? Yeah. So, you know, use something that's going to let you keep taking pictures and not write code. Exactly. Uh, and they've added a few new templates that are actually really, really nice. Um, so go check out those templates. Uh, the tr- interface is all drag and drop. So you can like resize stuff and you can drag pictures in. Uh, you don't have to do all kinds of crazy fancy uploading via FTP and that kind of stuff. It's all drag and drop like a little application. All the designs are responsive. So you bring them all the way down to a cell phone and your content still looks great. Uh, and, uh, don't forget that the social media integration exists. So you can pull content from existing blogs. So if you have a WordPress blog that you're already using, you want to bring in the Squarespace, they'll bring it all in. Uh, and then you can send stuff out to Twitter and Facebook and the rest of them. It's pretty great stuff. Uh, yeah, we got clean, gotta, super oh, clean, very, very clean. All right. So what are they going to do for us though? Our people, we have people, we have people. We have people at Squarespace. Is that what you're talking about? No, I mean, we have people that we want to have Squarespace do stuff for. Ah, okay. So what you're going to do is you're going to go to squarespace.com slash OTP. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only are you going to be able to sign up for a two-week trial without a credit card or anything, you just sign up, see if you like it. and It's kind of cool that, how you can do that. Yeah. And after the two weeks, of course, you're going to like it. But if you still need a little bit more time, they're really cool about extending your trial. You can simply send them an email. You'll get a notice saying, hey, your trial is about to expire. You send them an email saying, I need a little bit more time or just I think it's just a subject line, extend my trial and they'll extend you out for another two weeks. Uh, and then uh, if nice you use. Them. Yeah, well, they're, they're good guys uh, and girls. Uh, if you use uh, what's our what's our offer code? What did we decide <laughs> it was? Come on. I love this. One. The December uh, offer code for Squarespace is take more pictures, take more pictures. All one word. Yeah, which is what you should be doing after you listen to this show exactly. and tell your friends about it. Uh, and that'll get you 10% off uh, when you finally purchase. And so buy a year, get your 10% off. They'll get you a free domain and uh, try it out. Uh, that's the other thing. Free domain, that's going to cost you 12 15 bucks right there. Right. If it's a .com domain. I mean, if you're using some other... They get even more expensive. Yeah. 
So uh, definitely go check them out. Squarespace.com slash OTP. Offer code is take more pictures. And uh, we appreciate them. Uh, They're they're good peeps to us. Uh, Squarespace is everything you need to make exceptional websites. Yeah, I'm jealous you got to go see their digs. I hear they're nice. Uh, the digs, uh, are, are very nice. Yeah. You know, when you come to New York, you're going to have to, uh, we'll have to make a point of going over there. I've got my Hawaiian shirt and white shorts at the ready. I don't think that that's what you should wear in, in New York city right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, we got, uh, we've got a number of emails that we'd like to get through. Uh, we do have a number of emails that we'd like to get through. First of all, Mike, uh, thank you for writing in and correcting me on, on butchering Jiro's name. It's, it's Jiro, not Hiro. Uh, in our, one of our favorite recent documentaries, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, which is fantastic if you haven't seen it. Yeah, except if you're his children. <laughs> well, yeah. But they don't recognize him anyway, so it's still good. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, who's that guy? Uh, Who is that? Yeah. Uh, we got one from Greg Obst, which I think is kind of interesting. I don't – I'd, I'd rather you take this one because I think this is more – Why is it my your, fault? It, well, it's not your fault, but I think you, you can speak more to it than I can since you're a fancy portrait photographer. Yeah. It's, it's about All taking right, let's fancy see. portraits. Uh, thanks for the podcast and for being such an inspiration. He's talking to you there, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I'd like your honest opinion on something and I've been struggling with regards to personal photography project. Uh, I plan to undertake a portrait based project, not necessarily a daily one. Subjects will be regular folks, mostly rural surroundings, the kind of middle class, hardworking folks that make society work, et cetera, et cetera. Environmental portraiture. Okay, here we go. Uh, I'm not a professional in a paid sense, nor do I wish to be, but I plan on doing a very professional job in these photos, at least the very best I'm capable of. The dilemma is that since I will not be charging, I'll be butting up against the low end of the professional portrait market in my area. We don't really have high end. Uh, we don't have a high end of that market in our area either. I never wanted to undercut or devalue the professional photography, and I am worried that by taking a personal project with professional level goals, I might end up being seen as uh, setting a bad precedent for this type of work for free. As a professional yourself, I, though I realize a very different market and a very much, much higher level of quality. I don't know about that. Uh, do you feel that it's okay to undertake this sort of project with uh, knowing that it might be taking, taken as working for free by some? Okay. So this kind of gets back into the noise of photography is killing the industry, blah, 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 blah. Okay. I don't right? think that this is photography though. Uh, if, if he's putting out a thing saying, uh, hey, I'm giving away free portraits and uh, just, you know, send me an email and I'll come take pictures of you and your kids for free and, you know, you can keep the pictures. Well, that's one thing. That's, mm-hmm. that's photography, as you say. Um, Oh, if he's if he's doing a personal project where he's getting normal people uh as as subjects well that's what everybody does that's what i do sure you know this this strikes me as as uh, i was just going to say something that you would do uh it's a narrative project or kind of a you know a statement project not necessarily something that needs to be even looked at commercially yeah. i mean the, the, you know people do this stuff all the time you think avidon paid all those people that he shot for the american west no uh, I mean, it, 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 
what is the final goal for this, I guess, is part of the question, right? I mean, if he's going to, if this is to go in a gallery or go up on a website or that kind of thing, that's fine. You know, if you're giving the people all of the high res files at the end of it, just for helping you out and being subjects, well, don't do that. <laughs> uh, maybe give them a website version they could use on their Facebook page or something like that. You know, it's right. like a thank you. Um, Hey, I've got a question for I, you. you know, one as a Yeah. You do, Remind me. Part of, part of what the problem is, is that you get, you, you have to explain to people that the point of this is not for them to get free pictures, mm-hmm. but rather for them to be a subject for your art. Right. The people who want just free pictures and therefore they're going to call you up. Well, you probably don't really want that person anyway. And then you get yourself out of the strange, awkward position of, you know, taking pictures of somebody who was going to pay somebody else and then somebody else doesn't like you. But I don't think this, this is not considered working for free. Working for free is I have no idea how to use my camera and I'm just going to like, you know, shoot pictures at this restaurant and give them to the guy and go take headshots of people for 20 bucks and like that kind of crap. Um, which makes it very difficult for the people who actually have to make a living at it. Sure. Anyway, what's your question? Well, my question is you, let's say you're doing these projects with the intention of creating art, um, gallery based, whatever. Uh, but sometime later, and you're not paying your subjects, uh, sometime later you decide to do a book or some sort of project, uh, that is going to pay you. Mm-hmm. Where do you draw the line on not paying subjects, drawing, uh, paying subjects, is there a line that even needs to be addressed? Um, um, how do you work that out? The short answer is that I don't pay most of my subjects. Um, Have you most had of my people refuse to sit for you because you wouldn't pay them? Um, I've had people refuse to sit for me who wanted to use the pictures for commercial purposes. And I was like, well, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to do here. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. if, if we take the pictures and you really like them and you want to use them for whatever it is, consider it like you got a free sitting and now you got to pay for the pictures, you know? Sure. Um, but I've never had somebody say, well, you know, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to pay me. It's like, that's, then again, the kind of personal projects that I do, I'm not making a lot of money doing them. That's not where I make my money. That's where I, that's where I feed my soul, but don't feed my belly, you know? Sure. (laughs) Um, So for me, it's not a big, it's, I I don't feel that guilty about it. Now, if I did this project here in December and and suddenly sold, you know, $50,000 worth of prints, which, you know, not going to happen. Would I feel like I should, you know, give a couple hundred bucks to each of the people? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, But I'm not going to promise that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make something, you know, I'm trying to make a living, you know, and if, right, right. I don't know. I let people, it's funny because some people are like, well, can I have the high res files? Like, no, you can't have the high res file. And then other people are just like, uh, you know, Hey, I got, I got the file. Um, do you mind terribly if I use it as my Facebook picture? I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll point them to you for prints and, and, you know, you know, like super apologetic on the other end of the spectrum. Right. And for those people, it's like, yeah, of course, you know, you know, sure. <laughs> use it, use it as your, uh, LinkedIn picture. If, you know, if that makes you happy, thanks for taking the time. Right. But the people are like, you know what? I'm putting a book out and I need an author photo. And since you already took this one, can I just have it for free instead of, can we just use this? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and, and 
so I don't think that what Greg is doing is, is freetography. I think that this is somebody doing a personal project and I wouldn't feel awkward at all. Good. He's trying to learn. This is similar to what I did with my 365 portraits. Well, I would argue it's something that you still do with, with the current December project. Yeah, it's true. You're still pushing yourself. You're still trying to go in different directions. I'm still calling out for subjects and right. getting piles of people or not. <laughs> Actually, I've been doing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, or you wanted to go through an, another couple emails? Well, what's uh Oh yeah, yeah. Has anybody the one seen, from Nicholas? You think these people have seen these pictures though? I don't know. Uh, I suppose you can link to them if you want to, or save it for next week. Yeah, I mean, we can. Uh, yeah, we could save it for next week. But uh, yeah, so I've been I'm doing this this daily project here in December. I've done three of them now. Uh, one called ghost story, one called shrunk and one called paper dolls. And, and then, uh, we're going to, I'm going to do, you know, I'm doing one every day. So another one tonight, it's going to be very exhausting. Um, but yeah, we can talk about them next week. Well, maybe we'll then put together some behind the scenes stuff. Of, of images. Yeah, that, that'll, that'll be better. And we okay. can talk through some of them as, as a fun little thing. What's Nicholas's email about? Uh, this is one, uh, let's see, photographs that are famous, but not special. Uh, How do you where, feel about that? Well, hold on. Where, let, me, let's, let, me, let me get to the actual email. Where's the actual email? I sent it to you. I can read this one if you want to answer it. Uh, sure. Uh, do you ever walk around a photography show at an art gallery and feel that it's not particularly special, particularly for the price being asked for the pictures? Does it bother you uh, if you feel like you could have taken the photos yourself? Okay. The short answer is yes, I feel that way all the time to part one of that question. But part two, it's a very simple answer. It's, but you didn't. True. True. Uh, you know, uh, is, is, you know, any people look at, at Pollock's work. Oh, all he's doing is dribbling paint all over. Anybody could do that. Yeah. But they didn't. True. Yeah. You know, uh, now the flip side of your answer is that there are, of course, artists who are very established who show mediocre – what I would consider mediocre work because they have a name behind it. <clears throat> Damien Hurst. <clears throat> yeah, right. You know, And I think that that kind of stuff happens all the time. Sure. I think uh, there, there are plenty of artists that phone it in. Right. His, his, uh, his particular comments were about a Lee Freelander uh, pictures of mannequins. Apparently, uh, he shot basically mannequins in windows with reflections. Right. And they're all, you know, they're fine, but they're, eh, you know. Yeah, I mean, these these particular photos, um, they're okay. Right. I think people like Ache did reflections much better. Well, that's the thing. And Ache was doing it in 1890, you know. Right, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the answer is yes. Sure, you feel that way. And yes, Jeffrey's right in saying that you didn't do it. So suck it up. Uh, but then there's also the frustration of like, I've done stuff exactly like this and it didn't get anywhere because I wasn't Lee Freelander. Right. Right. Uh, and at, and at some point, I mean, we talk about this quite a bit. There's whatever you're doing that you think is fresh and new. It's, it's on some level derivative of something that came before it. Sure. Yeah, you know, I I put in for that uh, Smithsonian fellowship this weekend, and uh, I had to write 
a proposal and I had to, man, I, I had to, I actually had to borrow some uh, art school pretense from Jeffrey to, in order to write this thing. <laughs> I, what? Well, no, you know, you, but it's, well, you, you know, it's like you have to, the, 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 the art world makes you, makes people talk about art at a level that makes me feel uncomfortable because it feels pretentious. Yes. There, there is it's an like, expected vernacular. Yes. Art, you know, art is important and art is fantastic and certain art can change the world and all of that. But like sometimes it's just a pretty picture. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't need two pages of description of like what it means to society and right. how this is going to change my artistic life. And this is man versus his blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I had to write some of that stuff for this proposal and it's, it was painful and I'm getting better at it. And you know, what? at a certain point you have to, you have to play the game the way, you know, the rules say, if you want to play in that league, as it were. Sure. If you want um, to get in that door, get in that ballpark, whatever yeah. you've Yeah. You've got to play by the rules. Right. And I have, I have friends who are uh, very talented designers and photographers and stuff who are much better at that than I am. I'm, I'm far too honest about how I feel about stuff. Right. Uh, hey, you know who's super talented that's one of your friends? Who's that? Craig. Yeah, see, Craig is excellent about talking about it. Um, but he's also ridiculous. He also makes really great work, right? Yeah. But he has the advantage of being able to add a whole other shiny layer on top of it mm-hmm. that makes it much more palatable to the people further down the line. Have you... Uh, okay, th- here's a question, This and it just popped into my head. Have you ever gotten more out of a work or have you ever gained more of an appreciation of a piece of work after simply reading either a statement about it or an artist's description of it? Um, does it change? Does the context change the way you feel about a piece? Yes. And I hesitate to say that because in many ways I feel that that is a cop out and means that it's bad art. Um, If it has to be explained. Right. I look, for example, I did not study painting. Right. And then there's that famous Rauschenberg painting that was just given to MoMA with the, with the Eagle or whatever it is flying out of it. Right. With the, is that the one with the tire? No, that's the one with the sheep. I, I don't, I look at this stuff and I'm like, I don't understand why this is important. And in fact, when I was, I was having lunch with, with Eli the other day and he was talking about this kind of stuff. And I said, look, you went to school for this stuff. I was like, explain to me why this is important. And he says, well, you know, this, this was the, this was the, the point at which people started talking about the canvas, not as like a substrate for the painting, but as part of the painting itself, right? That it was an object the canvas itself was an art object and therefore adding stuff to the canvas was just sort of building it out. And I was like, okay, that's interesting from like a philosophical point of view. And let's have this discussion for five minutes of whether or not that that is a step forward. But when I go look at that painting that is supposed to leave, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Canyon, the name of the painting. Right. I look at it and I go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Now, Maybe I'm obviously I'm completely wrong because this is like one of the best works of the 20th century, supposedly. Uh, Rauschenberg is yeah he's pretty amazing. Right, I don't this right over my head like this would be like oh why isn't that in a dumpster? As far as I'm like I just I don't get it. But that's the thing is is a lot of his work came from a dumpster. 
Bum, bum, bum. No, it's <laughs> Dick. <laughs> Maybe you should have stayed there. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, but uh, so as a painter, you look at this and, and think, wow, that's amazing. Okay. Uh, Rauschenberg is probably the, my biggest inspiration. Yeah, see, I, but see, the things that I've seen that you did are a lot better than this. To I, me. I should send you a check for that because that's, that's very kind of you to say. I, 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 yeah, I don't get it. And so, some of his stuff I don't get. Like the, the, the canyon is, uh, if you could take, if you took the bird out of it, yeah. I would like it better. I, I like it just the canvas. Same thing with, uh, I, I forget the name of it, but it's the one with a, it's like a, got a sheep or a ram and there's a tire around it and it's just ugh, whatever. But earlier works like Rebus or some of his, his vegetable dye transfer pieces. Um, Are you speaking really English amazing right work. now? Yes. He used vegetable dye to transfer images. That's super of him. <laughs> does, it, does it look good? <laughs> to me, it does. Okay. See that's so, so that's a no. Okay. So but but so in, in answer to your thing if I walked if I was walking around MoMA when this gets there and gets put up on the wall I would if if I didn't know that this was a famous painting I would walk right by this. See but I okay and I I think I may have shared this story and forgive me if I have but I wasn't a fan of Pollock until I saw the movie. Right. Until I saw the context in which he was creating or at least Ed Harris's portrayal of him. Uh, and I gained an appreciation of, of what he was trying to say. Now that doesn't always work, you know, but in some cases it does. I mean, I appreciate what somebody like Mark Rothko was trying to do with these big color field pieces, but okay. Rothko is a, okay. There's a good example because I saw there was a Rothko show down in DC at one point when I was down there at the national gallery and it was a huge show. It was maybe 40 or 50 of those of the big color field, of pieces? the big color field pieces. Uh, it was like they got, they got them from like every museum in the world kind of thing, like once in a lifetime kind of show, which is some of the cool things that you get when you're in DC or, you know, New York or London or LA, right. like you get or these Rancho Cucamonga. Right. Uh, and I remember walking around and looking at each one, standing in front of it for a few seconds and and kind of thinking to myself, that works. And then going to the next one and going, nah, it doesn't work. Next one. Nah, that other one doesn't work. Oh, but this one does. Like, I, it was funny to me that I, there was, I, I saw, there was, there was intuitive beauty to those, which I don't find in a lot of other things. And this, this right. goes, this, I mean, this translates back to photography too. And look, everyone has different opinions. Obviously, there are a number of people uh, they're probably on the Slate Culture Gab Fest who think that... Uh, <laughs> never going to live down bringing that up. <laughs> who think that, you know, this is the end-all be-all of 20th century painting, and obviously a lot of art historians agree. I, I just, I personally don't see it, which is well, the great and, thing and about and art. You don't have to like everything. <laughs> with with Rothko specifically, and, and uh, people of that ilk, the color field, people like Helen Frankenthaler and that there's a way that you're supposed to look at these paintings. You're not supposed to just sort of walk by them. There's a distance that you're supposed to be at and you're supposed to let your eyes adjust and, and let the the painting fill your entire field of view and blah, blah, blah. And see all I, of that though, sounds like a whole bunch of art school pretense. To see, me. And that's, that's where I, that's where I find fault with it is I shouldn't have to go down a checklist right. before I'm able to appreciate. You it. shouldn't have to explain to me how to look at a painting. Right. Or a for photo. me to appreciate it. Yeah. Or a photo. Right. 
Uh, I should be able to go there and just get in. Uh, it should be the really, I, I feel like there, it, maybe you don't understand it completely after 10 seconds standing in front of it. But if you can't sub, uh, uh, like through osmosis, accept some of the greatness of a piece of, of, of an artistic work just by looking at it for a few minutes. Right. Whether or not Without, you understand the meaning behind it. Exactly. Okay. You know, the meaning, the meaning behind it maybe enriches what is ultimately said. But if, but if that's what you're, if that's, if you can only understand it after reading about it, then I, I don't know. For me, it, that doesn't work, you know, but then again, I don't have a huge, uh, history of, of education in the, in the, in the, in the arts as it were. Mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. It's pretty cool. So stuff, thank you, though. Nicholas for yeah. writing in and, and thank you, uh, Greg. Wow, and that we'll probably to, bored people a lot. No, that's good. We'll, we'll get to the others. Uh, let's get them next week. Uh, Steve McCurry. Let's talk about Steve McCurry and beautiful women. Oh, man. You know what? It's got to be a cool job to get the Pirelli calendar. Uh, it's probably very nice. Yeah. I don't know what it has to do with tires exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Beautiful women on a calendar, I'm all for. Um, right. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Pirelli Tire Company does a calendar every year, and they have a different photographer shoot it every year. Uh, and so, traditionally, a nude calendar. Uh, yes, traditionally a fair amount of nudity in there. The models, not the photographer. Yeah, that we but know not of. not like raunchy nude. It's just like you know, beautiful people. Terry Richardson did one a few years ago. That was particularly dirty. But Terry, what a shock! Terry Richardson's particularly dirty. <laughs> um, guy should take a shower. Uh, but so uh, Steve McCurry. Now, who, does anybody not know who Steve McCurry is? Tell us who Steve McCurry is. Steve McCurry is uh, an icon. He's one of the National Geographic photographers who's been shooting for a long time. Uh, Afghan girl, probably his most famous photograph. I think that that's safe to say. Uh, she did not wonderful, age well, that woman. Wonderful documentary, though, narrated by uh, Peter Coyote, who has a great voice. Yes, he does. About, they, they went back and found this woman now. Yep. Uh, and apparently the, the you know it was quite a chore finding an Afghan refugee thirty years later yeah yeah uh, but he is he's shooting the Pirelli calendar this year you know in in looking at this i mean I, I know you want to talk about how he shot it yep. in terms of lighting, but what what strikes me I think the most in watching some of the behind the scenes is the way he holds his camera okay. he doesn't he doesn't fire the shutter with his right hand, he's got his left hand over the top of the prism and actually triggers the shutter with the middle finger of his left hand. Yeah. Well, when he's in like portrait mode. Yeah. No, even in landscape. Mode. Really? Oh, he yeah. holds like over the top and he's yeah, firing? His, yeah. Look at his hand. His hand is maybe over the he, top of the maybe prism. Maybe that's just how he, uh, well, maybe he has something wrong with his right hand. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, I noticed that. And I, well, you know, what's interesting. This is, a, it's a strange choice for them to have him shoot this because he's not known to be a fashion photographer. You know, no, this and, guy's and, and a in fact, photo documentary kind of guy. Yeah. His photos are dramatic, but I, I wouldn't say they're what I would call sexy. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's an interesting choice. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I saw the same thing when I watched that documentary about the, um, what's his name? The presidential photographer. Who's, who's the guy? presidential photographer yeah the obama's photographer oh 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 uh, Souza. right how he holds like he always he keeps like his finger up at the front of the lens 
underneath the front of the lens, like as like a little tripod, little thing right. out. People hold it different ways. Yeah. Maybe he finds a stability thing in that. Yeah. I want to try it now. Okay. Of course, that means I have to buy a camera. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other, <laughs> but that's discussion. another show. Um, no, that, that is interesting. And it, it's kind of cool that they had him do this. And I th- he was shooting down in Rio, I think it was right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he had all these beautiful women down in Rio and a lot of it. In fact, most of the stuff that I saw was all uh, available light. Right. Um, beautiful stuff. I mean, you know, kind of what you would expect Steve McCurry to bring to a shoot like this. It's interesting that he gets that look even without Kodachrome. Uh, yeah. I wonder what's going on there. Probably. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things, the reason I wanted to bring it up is first of all, it's kind of fun watching him shoot. And of course the women are beautiful in the little video. Uh, but the, the main reason I, I wanted to bring it up is that the one thing I, he was using for light was those little tiny, uh, led light panels. Sure. Have you ever used those? Um, I have Claude had one, uh, at the video shoot last week. He had a couple of them and my buddy Randy uses one a lot of times for like a little fill or catch light. Mm-hmm. I would love to get one that was like eight by 10 or something like that. The, the four by sixes, they're cheap. They're 30 bucks. But sometimes I feel like they're almost too, it's too small. It's too much of a single point of light, you know, the light, the, well, the, the light gets a little hard. Isn't the fall off on LED just ridiculously short too? Uh, it's not so much that, I mean, light is light, right? You know, it's, but it's, I think that it's, sometimes you get the little pixelated, you know, you see the, you can see the lights, mm-hmm. which is a little creepy. Oh yeah. Look at that video of him holding it over the top. Right. That is interesting. And it's, it's almost every shot. I'll have to, I'll have to, I'll have to give that a, a, a gander. Also interesting. Uh, he's shooting Nikon, right? And he's shooting, I think Hasselblad or something on a tripod. A lot of yes. times. By the way, he's using a tripod a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they do the, the which, interview, which Bill, you have said in the past is really only for wussies. It's true. No, it's, a, it's a, <laughs> it really doesn't matter what you shoot. <laughs> Um, but, but the, 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 the thing that I found interesting is that in the, uh, the like interview footage they do with him, there's a camera on a tripod behind him and I'm pretty sure that it's, uh, a Canon shooting the video of it. No, no, no. On the tripod behind him in the, in the the talking head video, uh, because it's got a little red ring around the lens. Like it's some L zoom or something like that. Hmm. Which I just thought was funny. They probably were just like, oh, we need like a camera in the shot. Somebody grab one of those 5Ds and stick it up there. <laughs> and he's like, uh, guys, I'm kind of sponsored by Nike. They're like, shut up, McCurry. Shut it. Nobody's going to notice. Yeah. You're shooting for Pirelli. <laughs> They're looking at the girls, not you. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wrong. It's so completely wrong. <laughs> um, hey, uh, did you see this whole thing? Uh, there's an article in the Washington Post about Kodak. Um, uh, after you brought it up to me, yeah, I, I went and looked at it. It's called Co- "What Kodak Could Still Learn from Polaroid," and the uh, the the paragraph is the second paragraph is the one that gets me. All right, here it is. Ready? At its peak in the late 1990s, Kodak sold about a billion rolls of film in the United States each year. Last year, it sold roughly 20 million. That's a 98% drop in its core business over barely more than a decade. It's no yeah. wonder Kodak filed for Chapter 11 protection earlier this year. Yeah. 98% drop. And, and, and they haven't 
embraced enough other business models, other business units well, to offset that. Yeah. I mean, Kodak holds a lot of the patents on digital cameras, but you know, mm-hmm. they're, but they just couldn't make it work. It's like they waited too long. They weren't ready to sacrifice their core business in order to move on to something else, you know? Right. Uh, it's just those numbers surprise even me. I could say maybe, oh, maybe they sold a billion and now they sell a hundred million because there's still a lot of photographers who want to shoot film. But getting down to 20 million? No. And I mean, all color slide film, all gone. Yep. Uh, I think no most X. of their black and white other than Tri-X is gone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's just crazy pants stuff, right? Uh, but, you know, it, 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 and, and who knows what's going to happen, right? You got Fuji uh, over there in, in, in Japan, but how long are they going to stay on? If Kodak right. can't stay in the business, why, why would Fuji be able to? Well, and does does Fuji does Fuji make enough off of their cameras now or other imaging products to support offset, the film? Yeah, or yeah, support but that's the not film. how businesses work, right? You know, no. like they're not gonna they're not gonna keep doing something that doesn't cost them anything, and that in this or that costs them money. There's a there's a part in here where you know they're gonna sell. There, uh, here he goes. After nearly 125 years, Eastman Kodak is most likely about to stop making photographic film, apart from a few specialized lines in its cinema products. Uh, this much diminished behemoth is putting its analog division up for sale as it reorientates and reimagines itself. Could anyone, even the people who are big film people, imagine Kodak stopping making film? Right, right. I mean, I've I've been saying it for years, and everyone's like, "Oh, the film will always be around." It's like, no, guys, it's going away. Well, and even even cinema is moving towards digital. Yeah, well, I mean, there are very few holdouts, Christopher and, Nolan. But that, yeah, but even then, the great majority of film in cinematic use was not used for making the movies. It was for making prints. Right. So the point at which prints aren't made anymore because everything's digital distribution, then, you know, none of that, ma- you know, it doesn't matter. Right. Right. Um, they just, they just can't hold on. It's too late. So the idea of buying, you know, you were thinking about buying a film camera not that long ago. Uh, and I, I can't hate, I can't help but question whether or not that, that is a smart idea, considering the fact that you might not be able to get film for it. Yeah, even even on a on an enthusiast or or amateur scale, right. you know, if you're going to have to mail order and wait for it to come from, you yeah. know, and ship your film out to some place in, you know, East yeah. Bumble because it's the only place that still does that film. It just it it becomes less and less interesting. Mm-hmm or more and more niche in the negative way, you know, uh, it's just, I, I was, I was surprised at those numbers. They're, they're mind blowing to me. Uh, apparently they're the worldwide product manager for film capture <laughs> that is opposed to digital image making, uh, said that there are a lot of decisions to be made. Many of them painful. Mm. Although interestingly enough, uh, uh, there isn't much, as he says, the guy said that among professionals, there isn't that much digital incursion left. Basically, everyone who's going to switch has switched. And in the past year, sales have actually gone up in more than a decade. Now, how much are they going up? This is the argument that people make right. about vinyl, too. You know, they're, like, they're going up from 98% down. Yeah, exactly. V- v- vinyl's on a resurgence. They sold 200,000. It's like, yeah, well, how much did they sell back in 1984? Well, 200 million. Well, then yeah, yeah. it's really not resurging to much of anything. You know, uh, but most likely Kodak, this, what many people think of as photography, 
is is probably going to be liquidated. You know? Yeah, it's kind of sad to be honest. It it is it's very sad. I still like the Kodak logo, the little box logo from like when we were in like in the eighties right. and stuff, the big K. Mm-hmm. Uh, still classy looking stuff. I don't know. I just I was just putting that out there. I don't know that it means anything or says anything. Well, I think it says. I mean, it's it's certainly another nail in film's coffin. Yes. Know? No. Absolutely. Uh, and it's it, it it seems to be only a matter of time before Ilford and and Fuji inevitably have to follow suit. Well, I mean, look the the Fuji instant film that I have for the four by five. I mean, I have two boxes left, I think, and like eight or nine slices in in the in the holder right now. So I have twenty eight left, and then when that's gone, it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, the, my my four by five becomes much less useful then, because what am I going to do? You can't even buy the. Uh, you used to be able to buy the quick load film. You know that right. kind of. You can't buy that anymore. So now you got to buy single sheets, and I got to load them into the old school wooden holders. Right in the dark and, and impossible and project and re- isn't. You know that's three four bucks a slice. Yeah, even, for, for four by five. No, no, three no, by no. six. No, no four. for the super crappy. Uh, you know, Polaroid six hundred stuff. Right. It's it's a whole other it's a, just a whole other world, um, and getting further away by the hour, you know. Um, anyway, just put that out there. Hey, you want to uh, you want to talk about this? What do you th- the Blux? Blux camera, camera. yeah. Uh, okay, so so you you've recently you and Heather recently got iPhone fives, and you were looking for camera apps, and I I don't know who found this. I think. I think maybe you found this, didn't I don't, you? I don't think I found it. You must have found Did it. Did I find it? Uh, it it's got app- your name written all over it. <laughs> what is that? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I, I don't even want to know what that means. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything good. Because it's cool and, and slick? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's go with that. Uh, I actually really like this app. Uh, it's called Blux Camera. Uh, at, at first glance it's the interface is different and, and different, uh, in a, in a way that, that may be off putting to some. Okay. Uh, one of the reviews that I read of it before, uh, getting it was it's, it's the camera Rick Deckard would use. And for those of you who don't know, Rick Deckard is Harrison Ford's character from Blade Runner. That terrible movie. Oh my God. You know what? I can't even, I can't even, I can't even address you when you say things like that. (laughs) Uh, I like to be contrarian about just that movie. Everything else I'm fine with. Uh, Anyway, uh, very different interface, but uh, there's some really cool stuff going on under the hood. Uh, I I really like it. I I have started using it quite a bit. Uh, And uh, the fine folks at Blux Touch have given us uh, a few copies to give away. So how do we want to do this? Um... There's going to be a review. I'm working on a review. It'll be up on on taking pictures, and we'll put uh, we'll put it in the show notes as well. It'll um, be up on faded and blurred, won't it? Well, we can put it there too. Okay. Sure. Uh, so we got yeah. So we review this app, and uh, it's it's pretty cool. I have to admit, uh, the interface is 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 slick. Uh, so I think maybe what we'll do is let's have people <sighs> email or Twitter. I, I, okay, I think we should do Twitter. Fine. And I think that they should uh, tweet to both of us at Bill Wadman and at Jeffrey Sidoris and uh, and then tell us uh, which one of us they think is more fancy. 
Jeff, oh for your God. bill. You, that's not even going to be fun. It's just going to be bill, <laughs> bill, bill, bill. No, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who's more of a curmudgeon? 420,000 to nothing. Bill. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> um, <laughs> that's, not even, that's not even fun for me. All right, me. well, give me, give me a good game. I already feel alienated. Now you're going to throw that on me. Give me a good game. Uh, you know what? I, that's fine. I don't know. You want to do first? First, we've got five copies. How, to give how away. about how about this? How about how about uh, you know? Let us know which one of us you enjoy listening to more. Oh come on, that's going to be boo. No, boo, it's not. Boo. People don't uh, like me. Yes, they do. I'm a curmudgeon. Yeah, but you, you know what you're doing, and I'm. Well, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> anyway, first first five no, people. You know what? Uh, let's do. I got I got one. I got one. Ready? Here it is. Here it is. Uh, what, what, one of the reviews called us the Statler and Waldorf. Okay. Of photography? Yeah. Which one's Stadler? Which one's Waldorf? Excellent. Good one. Okay. So first five people who tweet to us with those answers. Or uh, come on, who are we kidding? First five people that tweet to us. <laughs> uh, people tweet to us all the time. Yeah, they do. Okay. Uh, we, yeah. Stadler, Waldorf, who is who? Let us know. Uh, if you don't know who that is, you're going to have to search it and then tweet us and uh, you'll get a free app. Yeah, we'll, we'll send, send you a code, code uh, courtesy of Blux Touch. So thanks, guys. Yeah, they were, they were very nice to send us some. Uh, good stuff. Interesting, interesting app. Camera apps, yeah. man, it's tricky. Well, here's the, you know, the, the funny thing is you're, you're, there are a level of expectations now with camera apps and, and some people are in the process before you shoot mode. Some people are in the, I just want to take a picture and I'll, I'll, I'll process or tone it or filter it or whatever later. Uh, some apps let you do both. Some apps let you do neither. Um, but I think there's room, there's always going to be room for something interesting and cool. Okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, you want to go, well, let's, let's do our, uh, photographer of the week. Photographer of the week. Uh, this guy, mm. you like it? If, if I do like it, if you're, if you are a fan of, of portraits, if you're uh, a fan of Rembrandt, yeah, if you, that's right. It, it is true. Uh, William Coupon is yep. our photographer of the week. My friend on yeah. Facebook. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, he is. Um, I like what he's doing in the sense that he's refining, refining, refining. And there was a whole show that we did on on is it more valid, less valid to branch out versus continuing to refine one area of expertise over and over. And I don't think that there's an answer to that. Uh, but coupon is somebody who has perfected, I think the art of refining something down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, so if you don't know who he is, William coupon, uh, is a portrait photographer here in New York, been working since like the late seventies. Uh, he shot Reagan and Bush one and, and Clinton and Bush two. I don't know. I wonder if he shot Obama yet. Um, uh, I don't know, but his picture of Ali is amazing. Yeah, the Ali picture is great. George Harrison is great. Uh, The Basquiat pictures are very famous. Um, Mm -hmm. But his 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 whole thing, actually, I love his picture of Christopher Hitchens when he's like about to die. Look up the one of Christopher Hitchens. Okay. Um, His basic thing is that he's got this modeled sort of uh, painted background. And then he shoots with a single, like, sort of medium-sized softbox off to one oh, side. Wow. Uh, and he's he's shooting with, like, this medium lens, you know, and he's just 
pop. It's it's crazy simple lighting, but he does it so well. Yeah, and the background, I think, in anybody else's hands would be really horrible, but it works with him. Yeah, no, it totally works, and it totally feels like his pictures feel like paintings. Yeah, um, they feel. You know what they almost feel? They almost feel like they're like mixed medium. Like they cut somebody out and 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 lacquered them on top of that background. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but he, his his work is is the the kind of thing that I these are the kind of pictures I wish I could take and get good at. Um, and wh- one of the things I wanted to say was that part of, part of how he gets that look is that he's you know he's feathering the light. So the soft box isn't actually hitting the subject. It's sort of the light off to the side of the softbox that's hitting the subject. Like the, the, the softbox is not turned towards the person. It's turned a little bit hmm. to the left of the person. Okay. Um, so they're not getting the full brunt of, of the light. They're just getting this sort of like soft excess stuff that spills out of the side. Hmm. And that's how you get that really soft wraparound look uh, that he gets. Um, and, and his pictures of the presidents in particular are, are really nice. Uh, Miles Davis. That's a good one too. Uh, he also, if you've noticed too, his stuff is really warm. Yeah. I was just going to say the toning is very similar across a pretty wide career. Yeah. He's kind of stayed true to, to that as well. Not just the way he shoots. Yeah. And, and, and I'm wondering if it's not a matter of, you know, maybe he shoots, slide film and he uses those like warmer slide films like mm-hmm. the gx or whatever it is on the on on kodak you know where it's but got even, it's got even his black and white it. stuff is warm you know yeah it's funny i think it has something to do with the softness of the light i think that that's a big big part of it you know um but william coupon yeah he's there he's still out there in fact he's got a studio here in new york i emailed him once and he never wrote me back maybe i should try again uh but i've i've wanted to sort of play with this sort of look I think is really nice. And most of his stuff, he shoots squares too. So he, you know, he's shooting like a rolly or something. So he's getting that look that, that Jeffrey likes so much. I do like it. Uh, And you know what else I like about his work is he's not afraid to let shadows go to black. No. And that seems for whatever reason to have gone very much out of fashion. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, like somebody's jacket or something like that. I mean, all the way to black. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he's not, he doesn't really have a problem with that at all, which I bet you the people who have to print his photos are frustrated by that. Um, (laughs) and we, you know, I don't know, maybe he does do a lot of work on these pictures, you know, uh, after the fact, I don't, you know, I have no idea. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, but here's a guy who was very, very big in the eighties and nineties and sort of has, I mean, I don't know him and hope he doesn't listen, but it feels like he's sort of fallen out of favor, right? That this, this look is not what's in right now. And I, and I okay, wonder, and this kind of gets us back to our initial discussion, right? But you know what? He keeps doing it right now. He's established enough that I'm sure he's getting enough work that it doesn't really matter. Um, but I, I like the idea that he just, he's, he has what he does. He's exceptionally good at it and he just keeps doing it, you know, to have, to hell with everybody else, what they think, who they right. are, you know? Right. Uh, and I think that that is, I don't know. I like that idea. I like not well, taking any crap from anybody. It's, right. it's definitely uh, a style 
that you can see has inspired other people, other portrait photographers, especially. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, he's gone and shot Aboriginal people. He's shot in like people in Haiti guys on death row. Um, but all in a very similar style. Like he must, he just must bring his like little single light, single modeled background camera. Boom. Done. Do you, do you think that there's, as I'm looking at all of this, I wonder if he looks at this setup as, um, oh, how am I trying to His say arena? This? No, as a level of respect, that he brings the same level of respect and treats every subject. Oh, that's with, interesting. With the same level of dignity so that, so that what stands out is not his work, but, but them. I think that that, if, if, yeah, no, I, I, you see where I'm going? Yeah, I totally see where you're going. And I think, I think you might be onto something there. And if you are, that's fantastic. You know, you know that I, I don't want to make this about me. I've, I've got my thing. Let's make this about you. So yeah. I'm going to treat everyone with the same respect. Sort of a, there's an egalitarianism. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. that idea. If that's true. Yeah. And it, it very well could be. I mean, it doesn't lessen the quality of the work if it's not, but I, I think there is something about it that would, that would endear the work to me even more. I, I think that even if the reason why he does it is, is, is a, a, a measure of simplicity, mm-hmm. that that in itself is, is worth it. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, no. that, I love being able to look at, at work and, and there's an amazing connection that, that photography, I think more than, than any other visual medium has that allows us to connect to it like this. Yeah. And, uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, no, it's true. It's, it's entirely true. I, his, you know, I found his stuff recently or not too long ago and I just, I remember, thinking to myself, like, where has this guy been? Like, this is, this is a look that, I mean, obviously I've seen before stuff's on the cover of time, but like the, this, it spoke to me in a way that kind of made me say, Oh, this is what I've been trying to do the whole time. And there are times when I take good studio portraits. There are times when I take good environmental portraits or ones that I'm happy with, but I have a much harder time taking stuff in the studio with studio lights that really makes me uh, that transcend, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that I look at and go, Oh, that's what I wanted. That's what I've been after for however long. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of times when I'm doing stuff in the studio, it all feels like an exercise, not communication. And, 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 and so when I look at this guy, it's like, oh man, he's got it. Mm-hmm. If I can just, if I can just figure out and bottle up some of what he's doing, right, and put that skill in my toolbox. Um, and that's, I mean, a lot of looking at other people's work and trying out, you know, trying to figure out how they lit something or whatever it is. It's all about having more tools in your toolbox because right. there's the right tool for the right job, you know. Um, and what do you think it is about? I mean, if we have to just kind of dissect him for a minute. What do you think it is about him that has gone out of favor if if in fact it has? Um 
is is it the simplicity of it that's gone out of favor? Is is he sort of you know a John Ford in a in a Ridley Scott world kind of a thing? I think that his work can be considered a little melodramatic. Okay. Um, a little too. Uh, a little too eighties feeling, you know. Okay. Okay. Uh, in in the sense that like it sort of has that. Um, you know, when offices were like office furniture and stuff in the eighties, all that like leather stuff and everything like that, like that's how his stuff feels to me. And I, and I feel like there, there's an argument to be made that not melodramatic. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's, 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 it's not emotional, but it's a little too, I, I can't even I, see words are is it, hard. Is it, is it distant? I mean, is that what, is there a no, distance? There? No, 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 it's not distance. It's more of a, um, uh, 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 Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, I'm so close. It's on the tip of my tongue. Saliva. That's the word. Um, it's, it, it, there's this sense that it's like, it's a little too personal in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, gooey, it's like a wet kiss. You know what I mean? Hmm. Interesting. I, I I don't know. That's, that's how I could, I could imagine people perceiving it. God, I wish I could come up with the word I'm looking for. It's going to put it in the show notes. If you, if you remember. Yeah. Um, but anyway, his William coupon, he's, he's, he's a monster. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Uh, and I like the idea that he can just go somewhere with like a tripod, a camera, you know, a, f- a six by six foot background and all a single light and he's done. You know what I mean? Right. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's going to drive me nuts that I can't think of that word. <laughs> We're going to have to do an addendum to the show when you figure it out. We are. <laughs> I, you know what? You ever have t- a hard time thinking of words? All the time. Is that because we're getting older? Is that just probably, uh, probably drives me nuts. Uh, yeah. If, if, uh, if you think of it, put it in the show notes. I'm going to tweet it out. Yeah. So William coupon, um, photog of the week. Okay. And, uh, so, uh, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, on taking pictures.com slash podcast is where you can find the show notes. And uh, you can find us on iTunes. Go give us a review if you get the chance to go over there. Uh, you got our Twitter and stuff handy? Uh, Twitter, Bill Wadman yep. or Jeffrey Sidoris, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S. You can send us an email at podcast at ontakingpictures.com uh, or you can call in at 347-687-9411, 347-687-9411. Uh, tell your friends about us. We're looking forward to uh, to doing a lot of these. So uh, thank you for coming along for the ride. It is the this is you know what we've well, only got three more shows in 2012. Almost the end of the year, or two if the world comes to an end. When did we start this show? Like in the spring. Hmm. Weird. So I think good things in in 2013. I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. Okay. You you think it's going to be better than 2012? If that's possible. <laughs> 2012 has been pretty damn good. Yeah, it has been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, we'll catch you next week. So go take some pictures. Go take pictures. Yeah.
Bill here, the word I was looking for was sentimental or schmaltzy. <laughs>